so yeah, we've had a, a busy week just selling like part exchanges and we've bought a couple of cheapies as well. We bought a, a Polo yesterday. Um, it's a 52 plate and it's got, I think it's got 17 service stamps in it and it's got 52,000 miles. So we give 500 for that and hopefully we'll get 1500 for that. And then last week we bought a, a Panda for 200 quid and then we sold that today for 1200 quid. So it's good, isn't it? You know, when you get like a car that cheap and you can get a grand out of it. That's not a bad return on um, investment, money per pound per pound. It's, um, yeah, I can't calculate the percentages, but maybe something like three, four hundred percent is the norm of these cars. Yeah. But it could easily turn into you buy it for 200 and then you scrap it the next day for 100. So it could yeah. easily turn into a 100 percentage point loss. Exactly. So at that end of the market, it, it is a risk and the risk versus reward, basically. So yeah, you are yeah. completely entitled to your reward, if you ask me. Yeah, it's, absolutely it's a, sure. It's yeah, a gamble. Uh, that's what we wrote about the other day with uh, Rory. Like, sometimes you get them and you spend an absolute fortune on them. But luckily, I think these two, I think as well with the smaller cars as well, there's less stuff to go wrong on them, isn't there? Absolutely. The only problem with them is that some, something, one thing goes wrong and then the whole car is just uneconomical to repair. Yeah. In this day and age, we can repair virtually anything reasonably inexpensively. Yeah. But um, the, the thing is, where do you draw the line? Where do you stop repairing and where do you cut yeah. your losses and go? I yeah. bought, oddly enough, I bought for 500 quid a collection of parts, which used to be a very nice 3 Series BMW supplied by me to a friend. And in about five years time, they um, basically the engine had a problem. They gave it to BMW to diagnose. A London dealership, I'm not going to name them, but they charge £170 an hour labor. And they dismantled so much stuff from the car. That guy just couldn't even pay them their um, dismantling bills. So he agreed to take it away and just scrap yeah. it as it was. Yeah. But we bought it from him. I paid him 500 pounds, sent a recovery truck to pick it up. The recovery truck literally brought me the body of the car with the four tires on. And then I sent a van to pick up all the internal bits. And we're talking engine, gearbox, prop shaft, exhaust. Um, and the <laughs> exhaust system was in pieces. It was a lot of parts. So, um, but, so what will you do with that then? Will you put it on? Well, it, it's already done, David, three days. So basically in my stock book, if you look at it, it says bought for 500, yeah. sold for six and a half thousand. It's not sold yet, but I'll ask six and a half thousand. And in between, there is a two and a half thousand pound bill from the yeah. garage for basically um, the bill reads something like 24 hours for labor to put it all back together. Yeah. But now that the car is basically new, either new or refurbished or at least checked everything, including transmission oil, yeah. including the antifreeze, including the battery, including the engine oil filters. So for the six and a half grand that somebody will come and pay, yeah. they'll get themselves a nice little BMW with um, all the bad bits basically already sorted. They even did us a free DPF clean because the DPF was already out of the car it wasn't something ah, i thought right. we'd get but we did yeah yeah so it'll be like a new and is it good mileage Eighty thousand. Oh, that's great then. which it's a diesel estate car so for those it is a good mileage yes yeah. we wouldn't call it low but it's good um well with full history from bmw as well yeah yeah, for whatever but, whatever that's worth but I yeah some, sometimes I, these deals they make perfect sense don't they they do they do and i, I tell you what um last week we, we took I think I mentioned it the other day, but um, we took a part exchange in. And what are the chances of this? That um, we took it in part exchange and uh, the, the chap who we bought it from, 
the old invoice was there from uh, we bought it off and he bought it from Chris Ball, you know, from Dealer Forum. So there was what's the chances of that happening? Then the next they're quite slim, yeah, quite slim. Yeah, it is, isn't it, really? And then the next day, someone walked on the pitch. We hadn't even washed it. He said, oh, I'll have that. So we sold it the day after. What are the chances of that? Then he bought it. And the day after he bought it, the cam belt snapped. So what are the chances of that? The chances of all this are really slim. Obviously, sale the next day sometimes happen quite often. But especially cam belt snapping, chances are slim. I've sold cars for 15 years. I've never had a snapped cam belt. I'll touch wood now, just <laughs> yeah. as I've said it. I've tempted fate, haven't I? But most of the cars yeah. we sell are actually chain-driven. And I've never had a snap on either a chain or a belt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll touch wood. It doesn't happen anytime soon. But the chances yeah. are very slim, for sure. It's, it's the first one that's happened to me. First one. So... But I think we're going to fix it anyhow. Apparently, it's not that bad on an insignia. Apparently, it's the top part of the engine. It's quite easy to fix. Well, I don't know. But we'll find out. But, um, yeah, so today's podcast, uh, Rory the other day was on about, like, spec and how important it is, um, you know, for, for selling a car quickly, turning them over. And, you know, we thought we'd have a little chat about that today because this is something you're really passionate about isn't it and, and trying to buy cars with lots of specification i think this comes from the way we operate um and rory isn't dissimilar to us in the sense that he doesn't have um, high street presence he doesn't have passing traffic he cannot um, put a highly polished car on a pedestal on a very busy crossing and expect people to come to him just because of the nice condition or the low mileage of the vehicle he needs and just the same as me really we need the car to be attractive to a buyer that will see it in a little picture on the internet, where, where is on, um, whether it's on the social media channels or whether it's on the auto trader, we basically rely on attracting somebody from um, quite a distance away in most cases. And to make these people travel, you can do this in a number of ways. So you can do this with a very low mileage car, as we all know, of any description. You can do this with a very cheap car, but after many years in the trade, I've, I've told you before that the very cheap is just something that I can no longer offer i just can't be running around making no margins and selling everything off very cheaply or you can do it with a car that people really want and they to to want it it normally needs to have certain bits on it which some dealers um are very clued up about this on some cars and some other dealers they never in their dealing life they um they never need to understand any of these if for example you mainly have japanese cars they all come quite um identically specced because of the way they're bought Basically, a factory makes a few thousand, they get put on a ship, they get sent to Europe, and the dealers sell them in, um, with the spec already on them. Whereas, if you want to walk into a mini dealership or a BMW dealership to put an order for a new car, that car will be built specifically for you to your order. And then the variations, uh, the permutations, they're insane. There is just so much variety, so many little options. It's like a minefield. And some of them are very desirable, some of them are undesirable. And you learn this as you go, I suppose. You don't, it's not always common sense what people want and what they don't want. Yeah. Like, for example, in the car that you drive every day, what's the most important option to you? For me, I, th- I suppose it's Bluetooth, really. I think that's probably something, yeah, or sat nav, yeah. I don't know. If I'm being totally honest, before it used to be an armrest. That's all I wanted on a car, an armrest. 
Oh my God, I lost the deal for a mini over an armrest. In fact, I, I wrote about it. So maybe there are other people out there to whom armrest is incredibly important. Some things in a car you can fit very easily, like Bluetooth, for example, about a hundred pounds, you can fit in quite a decent system. Um, Satnav, if um, in my car, for example, and this purely stems from where we live, we live in rural Buckinghamshire where the roads are very narrow. At night, they're pitch dark. And I just couldn't do without um, Xenon headlights. And now on the car that we've had for the last two years, we have the LED headlights, which are much brighter. And now after I've driven that car so many nights on the roads near us, I'll never, I cannot go back to a car without them, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. To me, this right now is the number one option. Yeah. And do people ask you for that? No, no. Other people don't ask me. But to me, for, yeah. for my driving, for me, it's super important. And I always emphasize it in our videos, in our adverts. I point them out, yeah. I put in close-up pictures. But from my experience, in right now, um, automatic gearbox kind of starts to become the norm, in, at least in our area, um, yeah. Greater London, with all the traffic. People yeah. used to be scared of them. They thought they were complicated, um, unreliable. They thought they need to be spending a lot of money on maintenance. And do you know what? They do 150,000 miles in a Mercedes with a seven G-tronic gearbox. They don't even change the oil. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. Yeah. And they've, yeah. they're slowly becoming the norm and very, very desirable options, very sought after. And it's nearly impossible if somebody sets out to buy an automatic for you to tell them, forget an automatic. There is a manual, come and buy the manual. That's one thing that... Yeah. It's just, you can't convert those buyers. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I personally don't think you can, irrespective of the type of car. And what do you get asked most then? Like from, I mean, for me, it, it's Bluetooth. That's what everybody says. Oh, is it, is it got, can I get my phone to the uh, stereo? You know, I don't think people that, I think sat-nav, they are bothered about sat-nav, but um, it, for me, it, it's Bluetooth. What about you? For me, I think because we, I always preferred high-spec cars from the outset. And for those cars, Bluetooth, it was always standard from many, many years ago. And for years now, they're not asking for Bluetooth because they know it's there. But they're asking for things like panoramic sunroof, um, certain yeah. colors, tinted windows in the back, privacy glass. Leather interior is becoming an absolute must as well. There are some makes and models I will just not entertain. I will not look at one if it doesn't have at least half leather. I could do with half, but if it doesn't have any leather, normal cloth seats, um, even on minis, I will walk, I will shy away from them. I will not buy a mini if it doesn't at least have a half leather interior. So if, if you but, buy a mini and it's got uh, just cloth interior, you could have that. Like, that car will that car will need to be part exchange to me. I will not. Um, I would buy it if it's very inexpensively sold, offered to me by a local owner, and it needs to have something else to make it far more desirable. Like for example, low mileage automatic. Um, in that case, I guess I'll swallow my pride and I'll buy it without the leather or half leather. Yeah. But if I was to pick a car, if I was to bid in an auction situation, if I was to pay anywhere near book trade money. I would want that car to at least have a chili pack and chili pack on the minis automatically means at least half leather seats. Yeah. yeah. Obviously some of them come with full leather. They're far more desirable to me. I guess to me, the automatic gearbox, the leather interior and the panoramic sunroof are the three options that make a car super desirable. And on some models now, everyone wants the navigation systems, not because they need to be told where to go, but because they come with multimedia, because it's just a bigger screen. It looks 
much nicer Audi technology package, for example, where they, um, they've got one screen in the middle, but the whole dashboard converts into one single screen with the press of a button. Yeah. And we're not yeah. talking brand new cars. I've had this um, in an A6 in 2011, I think it was, or 2012. So it, that's been around for nearly 10 years already. You, you know, and, like you'll have sold like quite a few VWs that do that automatic reversing. Do you know the ones I mean? Automatic parking, yeah, where they yeah, park sorry. themselves. Yeah. Oh, t- and, do you know what? I didn't even know them cars did that until a few years ago. And nobody's ever asked me, oh, do they, do they do the automatic reversing? Uh, sorry, parking. Is that How would you promote that in your advert? So basically, if we have an option, like, for example, the fully automatic parking, we'll heavily emphasize it, but only if no other car has it. If every, if every other car has it, like a BMW i3, for example, we used to sell a few of them some years ago, they all had it pretty much as a standard option. And buyers, they knew that the car would have it. Then you don't have to emphasize it heavily. But for example, if I was to now sell my own Mercedes that is so devoid of optional extras, I would just um, basically, I'd heavily emphasize it's automatic parking, which again, wasn't optional. It was on the car, but yeah. on, on some cars, you just have to, I guess you have to make them appear bigger option bigger spec than, than they really are I'll, I'll give you another example i went to look at the bmw 6 series today 635 in um notting hill a private a private seller a garage recommends us because we've worked with them for many years a garage recommends us so basically i have to um when they recommend us so highly to one of the very regular customers we have to look after them even if we're not super interested in the car and i went to look at it and it was very nice example very highly spec but when i spec checked it on hpi it only it told me it only had metallic paint so some systems that give you the specification yeah. they're just not 100% accurate so you need to look in various places and for bmws and minis because we we always have so many We've got a system um, called BMW After, After Sales Online, BMW AOS. It's actually handy for very dealer to have its free registration. And it gives you the complete original build sheet of the car with all the original options on it. Oh, and yeah. on this BMW, for example, I'm looking at a page right now, still open on my screen. And it's like maybe a couple of pages of equipment. Whereas HPI just told me um, yeah. individual paint or metallic paint, something like this. And, and did you buy that car then? I don't know. We've made the chap an offer and he's sort of sleeping on it for a couple of days because it's about a thousand pound under webuyanycar.com. But I I personally don't think that they will pay him any, because imagine a London car being parked by the curbside. Imagine the wheels, imagine the (laughs) bodywork. Basically low mileage, a very nice condition inside, but the outside needs maybe a couple of panels painting. It does need a fair amount of work. And my my offer sort of reflected this i hope he takes it up on it because i've promised him a very easy buying transaction at his end he doesn't need to worry about anything and he needs to use it for another 10 days which i said to i said to him it's completely fine by me no problem i'll pay you a deposit whenever you agree and then when you tell me we'll come and pick it up the same day or the next day i um i've told that garage when you recommend me to somebody tell them if this guy tells you he'll buy he'll buy um no quibble I don't change my mind overnight. Even if I get some other um, opportunities offered to me in the space of 24 hours, I'd still honor my, if I make an offer, I, I'll say it's valid for 48, 72 hours, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in that time, nothing will change my mind. Obviously in 20 days time, if he comes back to me in 20 days, if he takes that long, 
maybe I'll be fully stocked by then. Um, yeah. Who knows? But right now, I've told him at, at least until Monday, Tuesday, my offer is on the table, yours if you want it. And I think customers, they really appreciate somebody that does exactly what they say they will do. Yeah, definitely. Thing is, though, like when he goes to WeBanica, he's not going to get what I mean. We had this chap bring this out for a meal, and honestly, it was absolutely you could not fault it. But WeBanica did find some faults on it. I think it's Absolutely. just yeah, they should. That's that's their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But you, you know when like so, you, you you see cars that like cap clean, and then it's got you know it's got plenty of extras on will you then go above the book you price need, basically cup all cup clean does it takes a snapshot of all the auction sales in the marketplace for a certain make and model and gives you an average and obviously every car has some options but some cars have typically three four grand's worth we're talking german sort of executive saloons of the types that we have and some others will have twelve thousand pounds worth and if somebody went and spent 12 grand on a 40,000 £40, pound car to spec it up, it's worth more when it's older. Yeah. It, it just has more stuff inside. It's just worth more. I'm not saying that necessarily you'll be able to sell it much quicker, but it's more car and you should be able to sell it for more money. So um, if it has a panoramic sunroof, if it has a camera, for example, if it has parking sensors front and rear, Bluetooth, send on headlights, if somebody went to such lengths to spec all sort of stuff up, it's definitely worth more than one, which yeah. is just average and maybe it has metallic paint and um, a basic navigation system. I've got an Audi Q7 right now, 10 years old, and the sat-nav on it, the sat-nav alone was two and a half thousand pounds. It's, it works <laughs> off of a hard drive. I can't yeah. explain to you why it's so much more expensive than the basic level of sat-nav, which you could have back in the day. Yeah. But that's, that's the cost difference. And you have to allow a little bit over. I'm not saying if the car has 20% of options um, of the cost new, you have to pay 20% over cap. But you have to pay a little bit more than the yeah. average because yeah. you are getting more. Um, Some um, dealers don't like this, but um, you, you have to. I mean, if, if, especially yeah. in an auction situation. If you buy privately, it's just a matter of negotiation between you and your buyer and yeah. a seller, sorry. And sometimes a seller of a car doesn't realize how much some of the options are worth, especially if they were not the first owner. If they yeah. bought it used, they may not know what they have, basically. That, that's so true, that, isn't it? Because obviously the, the person who bought it was sat in the, the showroom and just ticking off them, them extras. Where, but with the person who's next person, they haven't got a clue. And um, is it, is the, what, what's the most extras you've ever seen on a car like what's the most amount of money i've seen twenty thousand on a fifty-five thousand porsche cayenne so in terms of percentage that's like 40 percent of the car's value somebody went and specked up but they'd gone to town on it um it was a and i remember the car belonged to the wife of the um the owner of one of the garages that we use and they had bought it six or seven months old and basically the car was a dealer demonstrator so it was a dealership that specced it in this way so they can show it to customers yeah and they knew immediately that they'd be taking a huge hit on the car but the car had a different purpose i guess they just needed to be showing it either in a showroom or various exhibitions or whatever they were doing with it i don't know and did and, you sell that quicker that car yes yeah that so basically, the, when we sold it, it was, I think, from memory, we sold it in 2017. It was six years old at the time. And we sold it for about 35 grand. And it went really quickly. And the lady that bought it, she said that to her, some of the options, they were extremely important. And yeah. one of the top options that was very important to her was steering wheel heating, believe it or not. 
No, you know what? We got an insignia the other week, and I'd never, I didn't even know, I didn't know they'd done uh, heated steering wheels, and that that does impress people when they see that. Do you know what? It impresses them at a dinner party to just tell to the person next to them, um, oh, what car did you buy? A Porsche Cayenne, it's so nice, and it even has a heated steering wheel, because not many other cars will have this. I personally oh, yeah. don't find it very comfortable when you drive. I love a heated seat, but a steering wheel, it's not, it doesn't do it for me. I don't know. So if you, like, if you were looking at a Ford Focus, just a run-of-the-mill sort of car, would you always go for one with plenty of options on that then? I honestly don't know because it's not my stock profile. I don't know what it takes to sell one of them. I, I, for a Ford Focus, I don't think I need it, to be honest, because a run-of-the-mill car should be exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. I don't think it needs all of these. And for a Ford Focus, I just don't know whether they're buyers. I think if a person is a car person obsessive about options, yeah. they would want yeah. a badge as well. They just wouldn't, wouldn't want just leather or roof. They'd want a badge to go with it. So yeah. I'm not necessarily sure whether a Seat, whatever their bigger sort of SUV car like with all the options, will have the same appeal as an Audi Q3, for example, with, with these same options. I think if you want the luxury, the prestige, you would want the badge as well. And it sounds awful, but that's how people are. I mean, I drive a Mercedes, so I can't, I can't tell you that the badge is unimportant. Yeah. Because um, to me, it is. I, I happen to like the cars and the build quality and everything else. Yeah. I don't agree with people saying that these cars are unreliable. I agree that they're complicated, but that's yeah. what I like. I don't like a simple car. I like complicated. <laughs> and and the, the, the people that you get buying these cars, like, how do you deal with them? Like, do, do you find you get a lot more questions and they're a little bit more fussy? No, no. Um, I, but they've read my advert and my advert is, is like war and peace, as people say. They're long adverts, lots of information in them. <laughs> yeah. And I find that my buyers, they're prepared. They know. And um, they've read it. They've seen it on pictures. I take a lot of pictures on close-up spec. I don't know whether you've scrolled through my adverts anytime soon, but yeah. I will put the camera right next to the logo of every speaker. If it's a bank in Olufsen, for example. And I've seen, um, I looked at Rory's um, adverts recently. He had a couple of very high-value Audis, Q8 or Q7, both Q7 and Q8. And the way, when he goes around the car, he's got a few pictures on the outside, but the majority of his photos are focusing on the, the spec items, the individual bits, that, the detailing. And that's how cars like this are sold. You just want the person to see everything close up and to start imagining pulling all the levers and pressing all the buttons and everything yeah. else. Obviously, yeah. everyone knows what an Audi Q7 or Q8 looks from the outside. And everyone knows that unless you look at it very closely, they all look good in a picture. But when you start um, showing them the big screens, the navigation, the media package, the technology package from yeah. really up close, I think to them that really um, it resonates with some buyers. I think it's like with, with them, like the pictures you do, it's like the first picture gets them in and then you're just like bombarding them with all the extras of the, the pictures and it just... Yeah, sort of my pictures are structured in a way that it, the buyer needs to stay engaged. So I used to put pictures of, um, if you imagine somebody going around the car from various angles, but when I look at them, I get bored. So now I put a picture of a car from one angle, a picture of another, and then a close-up of a wheel, close-up yeah. of a navigation screen, close-up of a service history printout, things that 
um, I want a customer when they scroll through them to think, what next? What next? What else? Yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. I don't yeah. want them to think, oh yeah, yeah, been there, done that, been there, done that, move on to the next advert. Yeah. You need to keep them engaged with the advert and then I'll put in some pictures of my screenshots of my reviews. Hell, there is even a picture of me in some of my adverts. I don't know whether yeah. that helps yeah. or discourages people. I have no idea, but... Um, I think it does. Me. I do, honestly, I do. I think... People like boys well, that people buy from people, don't they? And um, especially when when, when you, you you're buying a car and that just, everyone seems to be a bit faceless. So when you see like you think, oh, he looks all right. He doesn't look like a crook, and uh, it just uh, it builds people's confidence. So absolutely, yeah. Even recently, I was thinking whether it was a good idea back in the day. My company name is LovelyCars.com. And the idea about it was to kind of sound modern and to sound bigger than it actually is. But now I think, does it not sound like a big company that will scare some people off? And would it not be better to just use a single name? But um, of course, I don't have a name like Tom Hartley that yeah. sounds quintessentially British and engaging. And um, so for now, I'll stay with the lovely cars. Don't come and we'll see where that takes me. But... Um, so going back on the Ford Focus with options, do you think it needs any or do you think people will just buy it because it's a Ford? Uh, see, I'm, I'm complete opposite. See, I'm, I'm basically, when it comes to options and that, I'm one of them traders that doesn't really look at the options, but with focuses and that. But it does, yeah, it does make a difference. Say you've got a titanium or a Z-Tech. You know, people do like the titaniums better, but I don't think it makes that much of a difference with that, them type of cars. Um, we've, we've had quite a few, you know, cash cars, but like reversing yeah, cameras, yeah. front reversing, back reversing, and yeah, nobody's been that bothered about it, to be honest. We even had like a 19-play a, a Astra, and it had everything on it. It had, you know, reversing brilliant stereo and the bloke was like i don't use stereos me i like to listen to the engine you know so these are the type of people that <laughs> i've been dealing with you know so like i find it really interesting listening to to your take and, and rory's on on like spec and uh it, it's got me in a bit of a different mindset now and i'm going to start focusing a bit more on it because I think as well with them types of cars, you're going to get better finance deals on them, or you're going to get finance hopefully with them, um, better margins. And um, as well with the Focus, you know, if you're paying cap clean on a Focus, you know, your, your margins, they're all pretty much the same. I'll t I'll t now that you said overpriced, I'll tell you where the um, uh, spec really come comes into it. So knowing the spec and the details of it, the ins and outs, is when the auto trader rolled out the price indicators, yeah. they suddenly left a lot of wiggle room for us to be able to um, add options. And if you go and um, add the spec, if you add all the kit that the car has, if you know how to add it, if you know what it's called, press the relevant button, sometimes your high-priced cars become great price or even low price for another, what, 15, 20 minutes of work. Right, right. So and I appreciate that 20 minutes per car may be a lot to some people, to some vehicles, but to me it's well worth if my red margin, uh, orange I should say, high price suddenly converts into great price just because I ticked a couple of boxes on a computer screen. Yeah. And that's exactly how the price indicators are driven. They add value to certain specs. 
and they don't add the same weight of value that we think. Some options become very valuable because no other car has them. And sometimes you can have the all-important panoramic sunroof and it doesn't increase the price of the car or yeah. the, um, doesn't reduce the marker at all. So playing with the spec, um, if you know what you're doing, is really helpful for those dealers that were really caught out by the price indicators. And they've been around for a year now, so everyone, I think, has learned how to use them. But um, in, in the beginning, working the spec was really important to me. And so on, all, on the cars that you, you add the spec to, how many of them would you say go from high price down to good price? Most of them, if it's German cars, most of them do. If it's minis, probably all of them do. Because on minis, right. because there are so many possible options on mini, and I've no idea why with Auto Trader, some brands only have three or four different options. And if you go and spec up a Mini Cooper S, it has 70 or 80 different options. Yeah. But um, what I think they've done is they would have got the price lists from the manufacturers from back in the day, and then they paid people to go through the price lists and to add them on in the Auto Trader algorithm. And for BMW and Mini, it's easier to get the price lists um, and not so easy for other brands like Nissan, for example, because they come pre-spec from Japan and everything is already on them. There isn't a separate list so that you can add the metallic paint and the front camera and the rear camera. And in that respect, Minis and BMWs, Mercedes, um, Audi, they respond really well if you add the options to the auto trader. And for somebody that doesn't, doesn't do that, I think they're missing out just on yeah. an indicator basis. Yeah. Obviously, if you can still easily sell a car which says high price, it doesn't matter what the indicator next to it is. But to me, I always, um, I've told you, I don't want to be price aggressive, but yeah. I want my cars to appear on the marketplace as really, um, as well and competitively priced. Something else as well that I just learned from my close rep. Close brothers, they love the price indicators because when you propose a deal to them, they used to have to see the value of the car in the deal just to make sure that it's competitive with the marketplace and to make sure ah, that the customer right. deposit is big enough. Now, all they have to do is log into your website or in your auto trader adverts, and for them it's very easy to do, and just see the price marker next to your car. So yeah. if I'm proposing an Audi at £14,000, which may be a little bit expensive compared to anything else, but if the car has a great price marker next to it, my deal gets approved with a 10% deposit straight away like £1,400 deposit is completely sufficient. Yeah. And yeah. the price marker basically makes the finance stock more valuable to the finance company. It reaffirms the belief in the finance company that our stock yeah. is keenly priced to the market and that if they one day have to, God forbid, repossess and get rid of the stock, there'll be an easy conversion of the yeah. asset for them, as they put it. And it's so, not something that anyone thinks about, but I've just yeah. learned it this week. So I'm sharing straight away, instant knowledge. Because if, if it was high price and you hadn't put them extras in. They would um, want a bigger deposit. Yeah, they will say, exactly. Um, yeah. We'll approve this, but we need 3,000 deposits instead of yeah. 1,400. Some people can do it, but some people can't do it. Yeah. And remember, you'll get more commission on a car with a lower deposit than on a car with a higher deposit. So yeah. I guess the 20 minutes of work adding the options, they, they pay in several different levels. That's really good. That I didn't, I didn't even realize that. I didn't, I didn't even realize. And do you, sell, do you sell many cars that are high price? Do you still get no, calls on them? I don't, I don't sell any cars that show high price. Yeah. All my cars, when I finish with the options, they, they become great price. If you go and look on my auto trader now, I've got great, 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 good, good, yeah. great, 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 and one which is maybe fair, and that's already sold. And it's been right. advertised for a, few, for a few days. Right. 
And do you ever have many at low price? No, I had one and I increased it to great because I'm just, <laughs> I'm not, in, to be honest, I'm not in a rush to sell it. Yeah. And um, I had somebody interested and I wanted that person to see the car at a higher price. And I wanted them to see the higher price, which was about 400 pounds higher and to still see the great marker next to it. So um, I wasn't in a major rush to sell that, um, that car, but eventually I'll need to reduce it a little bit. And if I do, that'll show low price. So yeah. I have one if I do it. So, but what, what are your top three cars then for like specifications? What I've always got like really good spec on. Um, I like BMW 330Ds because even if they don't have a lot of spec, they come from the factory, they come with a lot of options fitted. C-Class Mercedes, and you had one recently, um, you had an estate, maybe, in, was it in Iridium Silver? About a month or two months ago, I've seen it on your website. C-Class Estate, same as mine. Those cars come very highly optioned. Yeah. It looks yeah. like a super high-spec car without you even adding anything. Yeah. And the previous yeah. generation of Jaguar XF um, Premium Luxury or Portfolio, they basically had everything put on them so that the customer could only spec a couple of items. The yeah. paint and yeah. whether it had a parking camera or not. Everything else was fitted to it. Um, so those are mine. Range Rovers I don't get involved in, but if I did, I'm sure that spec plays a huge part in those types of cars, definitely. And I know on stuff like Porsches, for example, they've got endless option lists, yeah. pages and pages of stuff, just crazy. And why don't you get involved in uh, Range Rovers and Land Rovers? I'm, I'm not brave enough. I'm not brave <laughs> enough. Even the newer ones, though, you still don't. Especially, especially the newer ones. I get involved right. in all the Range Rovers, but the newer ones. The chap, the um, the chap that owns the car wash that we use very, very regularly, he leases a, a new Range Rover, brand new one, and every week he's got a different one. And I said to him, "What is this program where every week you get a different Range Rover?" And he says, "Because my one is constantly in the garage in um, Park Royal, nearest to where the car wash is, for constant repairs." And he showed me a picture. And basically, as he drives, the car is 19 plate Range Rover Sport. As he drives, every single light comes on the dashboard. And in about a minute, the engine cuts off and shuts down. Oh and then he God. needs to wait three or four minutes. And then the engine restarts as if nothing happened. And they're saying it's, um, we can't see a fault called stored and we can't diagnose it. So <laughs> he oh has this God. literally on a weekly basis. And the very idea of me selling a car like this to a customer yeah. And this happening happens to them, even if yeah. it's under manufacturer's warranty, they'd still come back at me yeah. wanting to sort it out, even if the manufacturer gives them a courtesy car and everything else. Yeah. Because ultimately, yeah. people want the resolution from whoever they give the money to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, um, it just so takes so them. much your time. Yeah, I know there is money to be made in them, but I'm scared. I prefer the German cars. To me, there is a yeah. lot more logic in them. They're not as bad as people say. Um, BMW 320, I've got four of them at the minute. We just sold one a couple of days ago to a repeat customer. I, I like those sorts of cars. Right yeah. now, we have more diesel than petrol because everyone panically sells off their diesel in Greater London because the ultra-low emission zone is, is coming. I talked to you in another podcast about yeah. this. Yeah. So yeah. I have a lot of diesels, all very keenly priced, and there is a lot of interest in them from everywhere else in the country. So I think that's a niche I'll keep exploring. Yeah. As long as they're high spec, of course, as long as they come with the leather and the, the LED yeah. lights in the automatic gearbox, that's so important to me. So you, you're not put but, off selling diesels at the moment? N no, if I can buy them at the right price, I'd stock them. 
they're not instant sellers, like they don't sell from today until tomorrow, but the margins they return are better compared to the margins for petrol cars. Because for me to get a decent petrol, I'd need to effectively overpay. I'd need to pay yeah. um, in an auction situation through the nose or even in a private sale situation, still I'd need to pay the going rate. Whereas a diesel, I could um, not nick it, but I could yeah. get it at below market price because the, the sellers are much more motivated. The car just needs to go because after a certain date, it'll cost them 12 pounds a day to operate it, to drive yeah. it. Yeah. And, and that's a very motivated seller. And when you get a very motivated seller, you can get a good deal. And that's um, all I'm interested in right now. Yeah. So you're taking a lot of diesel part exchanges in as well, are you? We, we buy them directly as well. It doesn't need to be a part exchange. Yeah. Um, people have, I have contacts and they recommend me and they know that I buy certain cars yeah. and every week I get a couple of calls from people wanting to sell them. And when you probe people, when you talk to them, reason for sale and all that stuff, they'd always tell you we bought a new car. But when you ask a few more questions, why did you go and buy a Toyota RAV4 hybrid and yeah. you want to sell me a BMW 7 Series, for example, and then you, then the penny drops and they tell you, you know, all this Euless palaver about yeah. Yeah. this yeah. and that. I'll tell you something interesting, though, with Euless. We just sold a 2012 Mercedes S-Class 350. There was a huge amount of interest. And the car was fully compliant with ULES, although it was diesel. It's the oldest diesel car, 2012, so eight years old, yeah. that I've, I've sold and knew officially to be compliant. And I know that a year ago, we had a similar car, which was non-compliant. So basically, all the time, various models are added to the ULES requirements. So some cars, which last year were not accepted, this year become accepted so right. i'm assuming that transport for london is just increasing the list of models whether manufacturers get onto them or whether owners get onto them there is a process going on in the background so people are selling cars because they're not compliant with ULES, and then in a few months time the car becomes compliant right it's right. a very interesting dynamic and i think the way tfl the way they've gone about this it's wrong and um, it affects the market in a big way if i'm i'm forever looking for ways to make some money out of all this and, and what's it like uh, all the other traders down in, in London? Is, is everyone just trying to sell these ULES cars? They don't want diesels, yeah. They just want to sell petrols and hybrid cars. And as a result, if you have a buyer somewhere that is looking for a diesel car, there is this sort of gap in the market that's opened up because nobody wants to offer the diesel cars to the market. Everyone thinks that they're finished and gone and there is no yeah. demand for them. And yet every dealer I know, every single one, they either drive a very high performance petrol, something like a Jaguar XK, for example. Sorry, Mark, had to mention. Um, or, <laughs> or they drive a diesel car themselves because it makes sense, because it's more economical, because it's faster, because it's reliable. Yeah. I mean, my Merc is diesel. My seven cars before that were diesel. And if the next one can be a diesel, I'd, I'd buy another one yeah. in a heartbeat, for sure. Yeah. So in, well, in 10 years' time, do you think we'll all be selling electric cars then? I will personally only be selling diesels in 10 years time and I'd be advertising them as a very rare find, complete classic, unrepeatable opportunity. And I will use all these estate agent words, <laughs> I know, <laughs> yeah. because they will be rare as hen's teeth. And I, because of the way I operate, I like rare. I like something yeah. that isn't found at every corner. Yeah. I, I want yeah. to be the complete opposite of a car supermarket, if you know yeah. what I mean. And looking at some of my stock now, it's right out of a car supermarket. It's exactly the same yeah. as car giant down the road or big motoring world 50 miles away would would, would have offered yeah and i yeah. want to move away from that so i think in years to come i'd be gradually going on to older 
rarer vehicles. Yeah. And I know they will take longer to sell. They will need more money to prepare, but I'm sure that they'll bring better margins and ultimately satisfaction is what I'm after. I need, um, I want to be happy about a deal. I don't want to be chasing numbers all the time. You you don't want to be selling cars that you don't like as well. You've got to, because that's what- Oh, I've I've done that many, many times, David. I want to sell cars that people want. That's what every car dealer should be doing. For example, after I listened to Rory's podcast the other day, I, I went onto his website and you've never seen a dealer website with so much stock where all the cars are with black alloy wheels. All yeah. the cars are either black or diamond cut, which means that the inner part of the wheel is black and the outer part is diamond cut. He yeah. only had one car with silver wheels out of 50 or 60. And the reason for that is that I'm assuming he refurbishes all the wheels and when he does, he does them in black because he knows that this is what people want yeah. in the marketplace, yeah. which is a yeah. super strategy. But to me, sometimes you paint a certain wheel black, you completely destroy the way it looks. You just, it blends with the rest of the car. It's just not a good look. And if I personally don't like the look of it, I'm not going to do it. I don't care if a hundred people want it. If I don't like the look of it, I won't do it. And maybe that's the reason why I still only have about 20 cars and he already has 60 or 70. He understands (laughs) the buyer mentality far better than me. But I guess I'm older and I'm allowed to be a little bit more grumpy in my choice. Well, but it's like that saying, isn't there? there's, there's riches and niches and uh, you've got to find like your, your, your niche. And uh, like you, you were saying there, when you, in years to come, if you were just selling diesels, there'll be a niche market for that in years Absolutely, to come. Absolutely, yeah. But I know you've got to get off mix. You've got your friends coming around for tea. Definitely, so. yes. But mate, it was very nice to have a chat. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. having me on again. You too, mate.